สวัสดีครับ and welcome to the mouth of the Mekong That's my horn section. They live about a mile up the road. It's Monday, October 7th. My name is Michael, and I am the mouth, a longtime former senior Asia correspondent for National Public Radio, now recovering. And I live on the Mekong, where Laos, Myanmar, and Thailand meet. In my village, the monks still make their rounds each morning in their orange robes and bare feet, stopping to receive alms and to give blessings. And I love to watch them from my balcony. I don't have religion, but I like to think I have faith. And seeing this routine every morning is somehow comforting. What's happening in Myanmar these days, though, in the name of religion, is not. This Muslim woman, Tan Tan Win, is from Tanwe Township in Myanmar's western Rakhine state, not far from the beautiful beaches that draw foreign tourists. And she's telling Radio Free Asia about the violence against minority Muslims in and around Tanwe last week. Buddhist gangs going from village to village, house to house, burning, looting, and killing. When it was over, five Muslims were dead. They included a 94-year-old woman stabbed to death and an 89-year-old man too slow to run. The man was Tan Tan Win's father. More than 100 houses were torched and several mosques were burned too. This kind of thing has been happening on and off for more than a year now. Part of a nasty Buddhist nationalist movement that's gaining traction, led by Buddhist monks like the now infamous Uberatu. Who basically says the Muslims, who make up about five percent of the population, are breeding like rabbits and threaten Myanmar's Buddhist majority and culture? I'm not making this up. The 969 movement he helps promote urges Buddhists to boycott Muslim-owned businesses. 969 stickers can be seen in shops and homes all over the country, and there seem to be more every day. The violence has claimed more than 200 lives in the past year and a half, most of them Muslims, and has left over 140,000 people homeless. And the government seems to be unable or unwilling to muzzle Waratu and his kind, or to keep the violence in check. Anti-Muslim sentiment isn't new in Myanmar. Here's how the International Crisis Group put it in a report issued just last week, a day before the latest violence erupted. Frustration and anger built up under years of authoritarianism, together with a legacy of Burma nationalism, are now being directed towards Muslims by a populist political force that cloaks itself in religious respectability and moral authority. The report says, "Those who are spreading messages of intolerance and hatred must not go unchallenged." The problem is they are going unchallenged, pretty much. Why? Straight-up racism for one, and two, politics. There's a general election coming in 2015, and no one wants to rock the Barman vote boat. So the government is giving the hate mongers a hall pass with an eye toward the election, and Aung San Suu Kyi and her National League for Democracy are pretty much following suit. And it's going to come back and bite them in the <clears throat> wait and see. <laughs> And finally, a remembrance of Vietnam's General Vo Nguyen Zao, who died last week in Hanoi. He was 102, and the architect of the Vietnamese victory over the French at Dien Bien Phu, which brought an end to French colonialism in Southeast Asia and ushered in the lengthy and costly U.S. presence in Vietnam. Was he ruthless? Absolutely. Can you fight and win a guerrilla war and not be? But he was a patriot. I met him nearly a decade ago in Hanoi on May Day. When the government trotted him out for reporters, as they sometimes did on anniversaries, 
it being 2004, all we really wanted was to get him to compare the Vietnam War and the one the U.S. was fighting in Iraq. He did briefly. But what he really wanted to talk about was his own country and the one-party state's flaws. Animated and alert, the then 92-year-old said that Vietnam's enemies today are poverty and backwardness. He implied that more could and should be done to alleviate both. Vietnam's media, he said, tell many stories about our achievements but don't say anything about our shortcomings. Why is our per capita income only $400 a year, he said, while the ties is three times that and the Singaporeans 50 times that? He kept going. His handlers looked uncomfortable. It was beautiful. You have to understand how unusual it was for us to be hearing public criticism of Vietnam in Vietnam from one of their own. And it was vintage job. He'd been pretty much sidelined in the early 80s. But it didn't stop him from taking the party to task over corruption, nepotism, and its relationship with China, a country Jap viewed with deep suspicion. Carl Thayer is a longtime Vietnam watcher and professor emeritus at New South Wales University in Canberra. And he'll also be known for his lesser-known interventions in letters to the senior leadership, bitterly criticizing the role of military intelligence in providing information that could be used to suppress domestic dissent, and also really arguing that the party needed to open up and its procedures should be more democratic. Which it hasn't, in the slightest. If anything, they're working harder than ever to stifle dissent. Voices like his will be missed. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Any comments, criticisms, or ideas, go to mouthofthemekong.com, hit the contact button, and have at it. Talk to you, with you, at you again next week.